you have a Bible with you this morning, we're going to be working primarily out of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. So you can be going there or finding it on your devices. Know that it's always on the screen behind you. But this is the Sunday when we talk about small groups and encourage people to get a part of that because small groups have been a, an integral part of Vineyard's culture from day one. We actually had people who came to this church who said, I, I attend some other church, and I don't really want to leave them, but they don't do small groups. Can we join yours? And we had people who were interested in small grouping with us from the beginning. It's been a big part of our culture, and I want to kind of explain why that is a big deal to us, because I think there's a tendency to think, for some of us, that small groups are kind of like extra credit. You know, you ever been in a class and the teacher's like, listen, for those of you who really need it, (laughs) and you know who you are, here's an extra credit assignment, right? And so what tends to happen is the only people who do extra credit assignments are losers, people who really are struggling, right? And they need a boost on their grade, or people who are just, you know, overachievers, you know who you are, you know what I mean? You got to do it all. And I think sometimes we see it that way in the church, and we're like, you know, I'm pretty happy with my grade. You know what I mean? I feel, I'm feeling pretty good about the fact that I've got Sunday mornings down <laughs> and I'm serving a little bit and that's all I really need to do and I don't, I don't know if I have time for small groups or any of that. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of small groups and where we get that. Now, first of all, if you know anything about the early church, right, the, the, the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches this Billy Graham sermon where 3,000 people come flying to the front and surrender to Jesus. It said 3,000 were added in one day. The early church was a mega church, okay? It was a mega church. Then the next few verses, they met together in homes and broke bread and prayed for each other. Now, unless those folks owned stadium homes, right, it meant that they met in small groups. Now, I wish to goodness I had a chapter that told how they did that. Did they break up by alphabet? You know, I don't know how they moved, but we know that the early church met in groups, smaller groups. But I want to talk this morning about how Jesus did groups, okay? Now, Jesus, we know, taught in several venues, right? We know that he taught, like in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught large crowds. That's one way to disciple people, because this is the last instruction he gave before he left earth. Are you ready? His last instruction was, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the goal is to make disciples, and one of the ways he did that was in the crowd. And then there was obviously the 12 disciples that met with him privately and sometimes discussed the sermon that he had just given. Okay, that's a discussion section, kind of like at the college. You can have the lecture area, and then you go into smaller discussion sections. And then there is a one-on-one venue where Jesus would have a conversation with Nicodemus or the Samaritan woman or the woman, the woman at the well or Peter where he's doing one-on-one. Those are all discipleship. So for us, small groups are about making disciples. Small groups are about helping us become disciples, better disciples than perhaps we have been, okay? And so that's what we consider small group to be. Let's go to Matthew chapter, uh, Mark chapter 6 and uh, dig into this a little bit. 
The very familiar passage, it shows up in all four Gospels. We're going to use Mark's version this morning. The apostles gathered around Jesus, verse 30, and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Quick caveat. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Jesus. I don't care if you're the disciples who've been doing God's work all day. You're going to get hungry. And you're going to need rest. And you're going to need to get away to a quiet place and refresh and rejuvenate. Okay? And Jesus attempts to do that with them. And then it says, but... Um, they went away by themselves to, on, in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them recognized, many who saw them leaving recognized them, ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Can you imagine coming home from vacation? You know how you feel when you get home from the beach and you got everybody home, right? You've, you, had it, you show up at your door and there's, everybody's waiting on you right? There are jobs to be done. There are needs to be met. There are people asking for bills to be paid, whatever, right? Can you imagine thinking that you're going to go in and rest and and here are all the people? And this is what happens. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. And by that time, it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Let's send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, I'm reading between the lines here, but what I think is nobody in the crowd was asking for food. I think the disciples who had already missed a few meals were getting hangry. And they're like, you know what? Let's send them away. The the people need food, right? It's easier to kind of deflect who's in need here and find a place for them to eat. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them? How many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up into heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves, and he gave them to all his disciples to distribute to the people. By the way, I love that. The disciples get in on the multiplication, right? And he also divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken bread, pieces of bread and fish, and the number of men who had eaten was 5,000 people. All right, now, 5,000 men. All right, now here's here's what I noticed. There's so much in here, but let me unpack a few things that I believe God was saying to me, particularly as we look at this concept of, of grouping and why we would be in small groups. I noticed that Jesus is moved by sheep without a shepherd, okay? This is not Jesus who was planning to take a rest and then decided not to because he is anxious to get ahead, right? Some of us in here have not taken the kind of rest and and solitude that we need because we're anxious. We are still driving to earn a little bit more, to get ahead of our neighbor, to accomplish a little bit more. Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus' efforts at working to continue working when he needed rest was based on compassion. He had compassion for the people in front of him, right? 
And he notices their lostness. He notices their depravity. He notices that they are wandering. They are sheep without a shepherd. And now Jesus is going to organize them in a little bit. But for now, even in their seeking, they're wandering. Some of us maybe came in here today. We're seeking Jesus, but if we're honest, we're kind of wandering. We haven't found our sheep pen. We don't really know where we're going to hook up. We don't know what group we're, we don't even know what church we're going to belong to yet. And I'm telling you, Jesus looks at the sheep without a shepherd and he wants to meet that need. So one of the primary things that small groups do is combat drift. I wish I had a better way to say that, but, but I don't. So just go with me and, and I hope I can make my point. Number one, small groups combat drift. Without structure or strategy or a group, it is easy to wander. It is easy to get lost, right? This is why at the college, one of the first things they do in the first month of college is they allow for people to group up. They group up in sororities. They group up in fraternities. They group up in campus ministries. They group up in athletic activities. Everybody kind of finds their people because there's too many thousands of people for you to really do well just roaming around by yourselves. And so everybody kind of finds a connection. Here's the deal. Sheep do best in a group. They do best in a group. And they're going to group anyway. They're a grouping they're a grouping animal. They're going to group anyway, but left to their own devices, they don't group well. Sheep do not group well if they're just trying to figure it out on their own. Here's why. Sheep will follow each other off the path, right? That's why they've needed a shepherd. A sheep will go, because they're not very long-sighted, they're like, oh, there's clover over here, and they go this way. And because their neighbor was touching them at the time, they, the, the other sheep come with them. They don't, they're not even interested in the clover. They're just interested in being next to the sheep that went that direction, right? Sheep will follow each other inadvertently off of a path. I love the way my husband has preached about the lost sheep. He's like, there are sheep that want to be lost, and they're like, get out of my face, I'm not coming back to your pen. And there are sheep who wander off. And those are the sheep that I believe that the master was going after to find somebody who's lost and didn't know it. Sheep also don't protect each other very well. When a predator, I don't know if you grew up on a farm, my family raised sheep for a hot minute. When a predator shows up on a farm, the sheep do not rally together and, and protect each other. It's every man for himself. It's every little lammy and bang sheep for themselves. They just take off in 14 different directions. It's terrible. They have no defense mechanism among themselves, okay? They also do not organize themselves or anticipate their needs. They do not go, oh, we're kind of eating this pasture all the way down to the root. We should move or we're going to destroy that and kind of distribute ourselves along. They don't do that. A shepherd has to do that. A shepherd has to lead them to a pasture, move them off of it before they destroy it so that they can let that grow back up and they can, you know what I mean? They need help in doing that. Sheep also cannot tell time. They cannot calculate when it's time to return to the safety of a pen. They can't do that, okay? And here's what a shepherd does. This is why Jesus talks about the need that he is the good shepherd. A shepherd keeps track of time, seasons, pastures, water sources, and predators. 
A shepherd also cares for the wounded. Not everybody is at the same level of health in a sheep herd. You've got some that are lambing. You've got some that are recovering from, uh, from birth. You've got some that are older and feeble. You've got some that are weak, some that are fighting disease. Whatever it is, you've got all of that going on, and a shepherd has to notice that. By the way, that's one of the things small groups does. As a church gets larger, there's no way anyone in leadership can keep track of everyone. Someone came up to me this week and said, I haven't been here for four weeks and I feel so bad because I didn't know that. I can't keep track because you're not checking in attendance, right? And so, but in small groups, people miss you when you don't show up and they check on you, right? And that's one of the ways that we, we help do that, okay? Um, a shepherd fends off the enemy. He keeps the enemy from coming in to the sheep. And sometimes he does that fiercely. And a shepherd looks for the lost. If somebody is lost and has wandered away, they go looking for those people, right? Because a shepherd counts. I've heard people criticize the church and criticize the church, say, you guys care too much about numbers. The only reason churches need to care about numbers is because the number represents a sheep. The number represents a person who might need care or um, is, is wandered in some way. So Jesus not only teaches the people he has compassion on, he organizes them in ways that combat drift, and he develops community. Now, let's carry on with the story, all right? Um, by this time, it's very late in the day, and, uh, Jesus, and the disciples are like, send them away so they can find something to eat, because I believe the disciples are getting hungry. Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat, and listen to what they say. That would take more than a half a year's wage, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give that to them to eat? Notice what they didn't say. See, a lot of people like to think that Jesus and his disciples were ragtag guys running around, you know, hand to mouth, never making a plan for anything with no resources. Notice what, this is Philip speaking, by the way. Notice what Philip does not say. He doesn't go, we don't have that kind of money. <laughs> that take half a year's wages. We well, don't have that. He said, that would take half a year's wages. You really want us to spend it? Is that, is that really the best way we're supposed to handle this? And Jesus goes, no, I'm not telling you to spend that. Give them what you've got. And then figure out what that is. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Go and see. Go and count. Now, ultimately, there's only about three answers to that question, besides the exact math, right? There's either we have way too much food or we don't have enough food or like Goldilocks and the three bears, it's just right. We have exactly the right amount of food. And Jesus already knows the answer to that question, as I believe the disciples do too, but he sends them to count. And here's why we count things. First of all, in our lives, we count things in order to feel secure or to feel superior right? Think about King David. He counted his fighting men because he wanted to feel secure that he was well defended or superior to the, to the kingdoms around him. Here's my question to us. What do we count in our life in order to feel better about ourselves? What are we keeping track of in our life that makes us feel like we're safe, that we are secure, because we count to keep those things going, but we also count to find out what we need, to find out where our shortfall is, right? Where in life are you coming up short? Where in life have you stopped keeping track of stuff because it's just discouraging? 
that bank account does not look good, so I haven't looked at it in months. Do you know what I mean? What are the, where are the places where we aren't even keeping track anymore? See, Jesus sent them to measure their deficit. He knew they didn't have enough. And he told them, this is how we know how many people there are, right? There's roughly 10,000 people. 5,000 men, let's add women and children. We are at least at 10,000, right? He sent them to confirm that they don't have enough. Not enough money, not enough time, not enough education, some of us don't have enough influence. Some of us don't have enough stamina. Some of us don't feel like we have enough years left to get things done. We don't have enough friends. We don't have enough favors to call in. And Jesus sent them to confirm that they are going to come up short. Now, he doesn't do that to send them into a depression. He doesn't do that so that they will feel bad about what they don't have. He sends them to count that up so that God's glory will be visible. So that he will get the credit for what happens. So that people will believe in him, not in us, and our long-sightedness in what we're doing. All of my deficit in my life points toward Jesus. Jesus is magnified in my shortcomings. He multiplies where I lack. He feeds people when I'm out of food. He demonstrates that my stellar planning will not be my ticket to success and security. I was asked to speak uh, last weekend, the weekend before. I went to church, a Church of Christ in southern Alabama, and they asked me to come in and do a, a weekend seminar. So I, I had a session on Friday night and several on Saturday and, and then spoke twice on Sunday. And... I misread, I, I love to be prepared, if you don't know me, right? I, I over-prepare. I misread the, the ask of what I needed. I thought I needed four sessions. And I misunderstood because one of them wasn't numbered. One of them was considered a leader session. So I figured that out right before I left. So I quickly prepped a fifth session. I got down there, and it said that I was going to speak twice on Sunday. And because of our culture, I assumed I was speaking to two services exactly the same, and I had a message for Sunday. I got down there and discovered that they don't do it like that. They have one sermon, and then they have a Sunday school class that they wanted me to do something extra to. Now I'm down there, and I am short a session. I end up cramming. And I thought to myself, this is not about me being smart enough to get everything together because sometimes I'm still going to mess it up. Sometimes I'm still going to come up short, and I'm like, Jesus, save it. you got to give me what I need for this next bit because I am clearly, I don't have all my ducks in a row, and I am going to let folks down. And he's like, I got this. I got this. And I was able to, you know, spend a night in my hotel room getting another session together and came home a little bit exhausted from that. But whatever, right? Sometimes we don't feel like we have enough. When I am fresh out of grace or goodness or peace or patience, I get to watch him multiply my goods when I give it away. When I admit to him, I don't have enough. I counted, and I've got 2 plus 5. That does not equal 10,000. But you're going to have to make it. You're going to have to make it. What is God asking you to give him this morning? See, this lone child whose mama, to be fair, is the MVP, right? One lone mama in 10,000 people is smart enough to pack a lunch, and nobody else has a lunch? And this poor little kid, you know, Andrew goes, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And I want to know, did the kid offer it up or did it get confiscated? You know what I mean? Did Andrew show up and go, 
cough it up, buddy. So we got to have it. You know, I mean, I don't know if he was generous or if he was like, okay, right? I mean, these are small loaves. I don't know how big they are. Biscuits, crackers, hamburger buns. I don't know what they look like. You know, I have a grandson who plays uh, football, and I've started this terrible tradition that whenever I go to his football game, he kind of loves this homemade French bread. I call it pepperoni loaf. I make homemade French bread about two feet long, and I wrap mozzarella and pepperoni and stuff in it. And I always make it fresh on the day of the game, and I wrap it up, and I take it to the game. And afterwards, I hand it to him, win or loss. And he gets to, you know, take that on the bus. And do I have no idea if he shares it. I mean, you know, heaven help the person that tries to confiscate that from him, you know what I mean, on the way home. I'm sure there's lots of hungry kids. And I don't think that the, what we're talking about here is that big. I don't think it was a big two, you know, two-foot loaf of bread. I don't know what they've got. I'm wondering, was this child worried about his own belly? Did he resolve to go without, or was it a willing sacrifice? But in the giving, Jesus multiplies his gift. Now listen, this message isn't about financial giving, but there are some things in here that are interesting. Think about it. One person in the whole crowd planned well. And now he is being asked, encouraged, or or forced to give away what he wisely prepared in advance to those who didn't plan well. Do we think Jesus is some kind of strange Robin Hood? What are you doing, Jesus? No, this is not a redistribution of wealth. This is about someone offering up what is clearly not enough for everyone and saying, when you give him what little you have, what simple you have, what ample you have, God will stretch it further than you ever, ever dreamed. Ever, ever dreamed. Number two, Jesus directs them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Jesus put people in groups. Now, I'm not suggesting we're going to have small groups the size of hundreds and fifties, but stay with me, okay? He does put them in green grass. There's something about green grass. It's not asphalt. There's comfort in sitting in green grass. I've heard people say, I don't really like to do small groups. It makes me uncomfortable. You know, I don't, I don't like to have people in my home. I don't want to go to anybody else's home. They have dogs. I get it. You don't have to come to my house if you don't like dogs, right? Um, or, you know, whatever. I don't like to eat other people's. Whatever it is, this, this grouping was not about discomfort. It wasn't a study in suffering. Grouping was designed to create comfort, and some of them will be more comfortable than others. I will grant you that. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But listen, that's one of the reasons why we end groups and relaunch each semester. So let me just go in quickly to how we do groups. If you've not been around here and you don't understand how we do it. We do small groups, not year-round. They don't stay together forever. We launch groups in semesters. So we're launching right now with new leaders, and people will group up in fresh ways. You're going to meet until roughly um, three times a month, so nine sessions between September, Labor Day, and Thanksgiving. Then we shut down for the holidays. Everybody have a great time. We'll carry on again or relaunch groups in January. That'll go roughly to Easter or Mother's Day, depending on the calendar. And, And then we take a break again, and then there will be summer groups. Here's what that affords us. That gives us a chance to promote and ramp up whatever our new study is that we're doing and to onboard new people, okay? We want an easy on-ramp 
for you to get in. In other words, if we launch groups and I get people who join the church on October 1st, I'm not going to say to them, well, you are fresh out of luck, but we're going to start again next September, right? But it's also hard to onboard people into very established groups where they've already linked arms. So we're going to find ways to create easy on-ramps and easy off-ramps. Because there are times when you get into a group and you're like, you know what, I know these people love Jesus, but they're just not my people, and I would like to take a different swing at the bat, right? And that's fine, and we will give opportunity for you to get out without, without uh, offending anyone or do whatever, and you can jump out into another thing. We also invite people to move around, not always go to the very same group. And I want to explain why. There's two reasons for that. First of all, if one of my small groups has a pair of leaders who are extraordinary disciplers, and the reason I know they're extraordinary disciplers is because no one ever wants to leave their group, and they always clamor to sign up for the very same group, okay, because they, they felt love there, they feel like they're growing there, and they're having a great time. But if we believe that small groups are about discipleship, I need to expose as many people as possible to this great pair of disciplers. You understand what I'm saying? I need to give more people the opportunity to learn from them and to learn how to love people and to learn how to pastor people. I'm going to keep trying to roll people through there. And so that we multiply our groups over time, okay? I'm not just trying to create a group of besties where we link arms and don't let people in. I hope you find your best friend in small group. But I hope it's much more than that. I hope it is so much more than that. Second of all, we're trying to create an environment where people sharpen one another. And this is what I've discovered, and you can argue with me if you want, but sometimes when people who are too much of a feather flock together, it can go a little sour because familiarity can hinder vulnerability. Now, if you don't believe me, you think about a little tiny church you might have attended in some other place or space where people knew everybody's business and how hard it is in those settings for people to get the kind of ministry they need because everybody knows their business and has opinions about it, so it's really hard to be vulnerable and go forward for prayer or whatever. It's the same thing Jesus is talking about where a prophet has no in his own hometown because they're like, well, we know that guy. He's Mary and Joseph's kid, whatever. You know what I mean? We have a little bit of disrespect. So when we move around a little bit and don't become too intent on maintaining our space, here's how I know. We have a little question um, discussion pad that all small groups use to kind of facilitate discussion. And when I hear that a small group is not getting a lot of discussion because everybody just goes, ah, I got nothing to add. I, I don't have an answer. And they just keep passing the pad. What that tells me is they've become close enough that they care more about keeping their position in the group and not looking bad in front of their friends than they are about being able to be spiritually growing and having iron sharpen iron in that place. And so we're trying to figure out how to create a space where we build trust, but there's enough of enough of an opportunity for you to be vulnerable that you're able to grow in that space. Because we believe that, that groups offer two things. They offer discipleship and they offer community. And we need both. You can have a group that is discipleship only and they don't even like each other. I went to a little tiny school and I was in fifth grade with the same girl forever and ever and ever. She was not my friend. 
She was not my best friend. She just happened to be my age, and I was stuck there. Now, age-managed groups are great for acquiring knowledge, right? That's why we group our schools that way. If that's all we were doing, that can be discipleship. You don't even have to have community. It's a great catalyst for that. Um, I like what my history professor used to say. You know, our department is big enough that we don't have to like each other. <laughs> it's like, okay. All right? But you can also have community without discipleship. In other words, we're buds. We have similar interests. Some churches call these affinity groups. We like to hike together. We like to run together. We like to camp or jeep together. And yeah, we say a couple prayers and we all go to the same church, but it's not really discipleship. It's mostly community. We're trying to marry those together. Create a community where people are sharpening each other spiritually, okay? And so we're not putting people together who are the same in every way. We sharpen each other spiritually, and we like each other. We support each other and lift up burdens, and we build trust. We don't all need to have the same disposable income. We don't all need to be the same age. We're not all filled up with smart folks. I do not have an accelerated reader group and a slow learner group. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Um, We don't all have... Uh, poor folks or people who are in crisis. Think about it. We need to be well distributed so that we can care for each other. If everybody in a small group is smart, first of all, it's miserable. I've been in that one. It was like, right? If everybody in the group is smart, it's a seminary class. It's not really a small group anymore, right? If everybody is struggling financially, nobody has resources to help each other. If everybody in a small group is having some sort of crazy health or relational crisis at the same time, nobody has the bandwidth to help each other. But when all of those things are distributed well, then we can help each other. See, Jesus actually calls us into groups that are called churches because he knows we need each other. He told Peter, I tell you that Peter that on, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church is his idea. I believe small groups are his idea because church community matters. Because even after Jesus taught a crowd, he would explain things to the disciples in a private group. Matthew 13, uh, 36-43 says, Then he left the crowd, went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us that parable you just taught about the weeds. And he did, in a discussion setting. See, small groups are not extra credit. They're a vital, vital way to grow spiritually in community. And it keeps us from drifting and it helps us grow. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person can sharpen another. I have to tell you that most of the spiritual growth in my own life did not come from exceptional teaching from the pulpit. My husband aside. Growing up as a child, seriously, growing up as a child, I grew up in church under several different preachers. They were wonderful leaders. They were wonderful pastors. I can't remember a single sermon. I can't attribute anything that made me grow simply by that. But I'll tell you what, the groups that I were a part, was a part of, from youth group to a post-high group to a young mama's group to whatever, all of those groups helped me grow. Here's what else I know. Groups have a shelf life. Jesus' disciples were only together three years. Three years. And then they multiplied and they created more growth in other places. So we don't, we're not looking for groups that are necessarily going to be lifers. That's not necessarily what we're trying to do. But I know that in groups, I have grown well. Number three, Peter, people eat better 
in groups, right? It says that all the food was distributed and they ate and everyone was satisfied. Physically and spiritually, we eat better in groups. That little boy's lunch satisfied everyone, including his own belly. In giving up his lunch, he might have thought, well, there goes that. I'll get part of it maybe, but I'm not going to get as much as I would have had. He never anticipated that he probably ate to a greater degree with leftovers than he would have if he had kept it. We are all satisfied when we get into those groups and feed in that way. That's what Jesus intended for them to do. It is better for us to eat together. When we let go of what we have, when we're willing to eat in community, we will be satisfied. So, what is my five loaves and two fish? Where am I tempted to hoard what I have or hide what I have because I think I earned it or I'm going to run out or God won't give me any more? Some of you in here are small group leaders, but you aren't sure about your ability. That's the best place to be. That's the best place to be. God can work with that. Some of you have skills and gifts that would be super helpful to the church, but you just haven't been willing to share that. And he might be poking at your heart about that right now. God is asking for your five loaves and two fish. Where am I willing to be uncomfortable and to eat with others? Because the bottom line, people eat better in groups. And it needs to be the right size. We just got back from conference, and we had cafeteria food. Several thousand vineyardites. We were all eating at this big uh, retreat center. And the food was massive. There was tons of it. And the quality of it was like, mm, you know what I'm saying? Cafeteria food is ho-ho, right? I'm just like, oh, hum, hum. I don't know. It's just like ho-hum. That's the word I want, not ho-ho. He's like, oh, this wasn't that great. And if you are like me and you're an empty nester now, I don't like to fix a full-blown meal for the two of us. I kind of have a rule. I can't fix more courses than there are people at the table. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's tough to make a five-course meal for two, fee- for two people. Am I right? So those of us that are only one or two, we don't eat as well as we probably should. But in a family... It's just right. In a family, you can fix the side exactly the way it should be without any waste or leftovers, right? You get a nice meal. That's the best way to eat is when you're doing that together. We don't have to belong to a church to be a Christian. But if we don't connect to a body of believers in church community, we function as a spiritual orphan. I'm not going to tell you you're going to burn in hell if you don't get in a small group. I'm just telling you. It is good for us. It is good for us to be in community together where you get support for the areas where you lack, where you're held up in times of crisis, where you are leaning on people who are spiritually minded. Who do you lean on in your hard times? People, when our lives go crash, we're calling pastor friends thousands of miles away to give us support, to give us wisdom, to give us counsel. Because being in a group provides accountability James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Being in a, being in a group provides support. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens and that way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Being in a group provides counsel. Of all the people on earth, Jesus did not need a group. He was perfectly good by himself, and yet he chose a team. 
He loved the team. He leaned on the team. He had them pray for him when he was in anguish. He admonished the team. Things didn't always go well. Sometimes things got heated. He was betrayed by the team. Do not let your fear of betrayal or pain keep you from being in a group. Do not let your impatience with people keep you from being in a group or your shyness from being in a group. Do not let your busyness or it's just not convenient keep you from being in a group. I was talking earlier with someone who talked about how hot it was at their child's soccer game this week, and we were talking about the fact that it's just not convenient, but boy, we do the things we want to do, don't we? Even in 100 degrees, we do it, right? Do not let your, I don't need that or anyone anymore, and I really don't like people Don't let that keep you from being in a group. Don't let your, I already did that once, I kind of been there, got the t-shirt, don't want to do it again, keep you from being in a group. Don't let your, I've got kids. Have I hit everybody yet? Is Is that everybody? The things that we're hesitant about? Over the years, I've learned from those who did group for a while and then they kind of slipped away from it and they never sign up anymore. And sometimes if I invite them to my group, I can get them to attend. And this is what they say. They say, Quote, I know I need this. Quote, it's hard to get here, but I'm always glad I came. I grow spiritually by participating, or it's the one thing that keeps me on track. Folks, folks, it's a habit. It's a muscle. Just like the muscle that gets you here every Sunday, I'm telling you it's a place where we can work together, where we can sharpen each other, and just like anything else, it's worthwhile to make that effort. So, what is God saying to you this morning? This isn't going to be a long ministry time, because here's the deal. If God is inviting you, if if you're feeling convicted now that you really do need to try grouping or picking a different group or whatever, I'm not going to invite you forward. I'm going to say, get out there to the table or get on your phones, right? Go, Go sign up. But let's come to our feet, because there is something I believe God might be asking us to consider this morning. If you're not familiar with the vineyard, we like to offer an opportunity for prayer. I will pray over anyone who comes up here generally, but we also have a prayer team who's been trained to pray over people. So this is what I'm going to ask you. Is there some place in your life right now where you know that you've measured and you know you come up short? You've come up short, and instead of leaning on God, it just makes you cling to it harder. Or, or try to make what you have last a little longer. And Jesus is saying, let go. Let go of it. Like the, like the boy with the, the fish and the bread, just let go of it. Or just come up here and let me multiply what you have. Let me take what little you're going to offer, whatever it is that you're going to offer, and watch what I'm going to do and who I'm going to reach with. Is there anybody in here who is feeling that this morning, that we can pray over you? I want to pray multiplication over you this morning. Absolutely. Anybody else? I want to pray pray multiplication over you. Some area of your life that you are either maybe hanging on to or hoarding or just simply don't feel like it's good enough or, or big enough to be useful. And you want God to do something with that because you're willing to offer it up and you're willing to lean on it. If you're on the prayer team, could you come and, and, um, and come up behind these people to pray over them? Anybody else? Anybody else that we can pray for this morning? I want 
to give just a minute. You know that you've got some things that you would like to see God work with that you're willing to give him. And you'd like him to make 2 plus 5 equal 10,000. Wouldn't that be good? All right, let me pray over you, and then we're going to have uh, one more song here while they continue to minister. Father, we just come to you this morning, and we, uh, first of all, we are thankful for your word, and we're thankful for your example and what we can learn from it. So God, right now, we as a community, we want to grow together, and we want to sharpen each other spiritually. We do not want to just try to be swimming out here by ourselves and drifting at all or falling behind. We need the encouragement from each other. So God, help us make space in our time, in our week, to, to fit this in, to meet with your people. God, direct us to the right small groups, some place where we will receive ministry, and, uh, and God, I just invite you to come and do your work in these people's lives. Take what they're bringing right now. God, I pray you multiply it, that you will reach more people than they ever dreamed, that you will make their gift bigger than they ever dreamed through your powers of multiplication. We ask all these things in your name.